to a Geek Network special interview. As always, I am your host, Keith. Uh, I want to go ahead and welcome my special guest tonight, uh, author of Spencer and Locke, Going to the Chapel, and the upcoming OZ, David Papose. Hi, uh, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked to talk to you about my new Kickstarter project, the OZ. Uh, it's a book that's been a long time coming, and it's a, it's a real relief to finally be able to, to share it with the world. Yeah, and I, I'll be honest with you, like, I'm very excited about it. I really want to talk about it, too. But um, as always, we like to get to know you, especially with your first interview with us. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have a series of shows on our network based on all the forms of media that we consume. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us actually got to know each other just by talking about this stuff. Uh, some of us don't even know each other in real life. So yeah. um, it's a good way to get to know people. So in the spirit of our first show, which is called Binge Watching, I want to know, what have you been watching? Yeah, uh, you know, like most people out there, uh, Cobra Kai, uh, you know, just got into that when it jumped on Netflix. Uh, that's been kind of my cool down show uh, every night while I've been, you know, in the Kickstarter minds. Uh, I love it. I can't wait for season three. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, no spoilers, but they end season two on a, on a wonderful cliffhanger. Um, so, yeah, I've been watching that. And then, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I kind of stumbled upon it um, on Netflix, and it, it brought me back to my, my ho- high school and college days. Uh, Jericho, uh, from back when, uh, yes. before the CW was called the CW, as I believe it was on UPN. And uh, yep. I'm actually really vibing on that. Um, so that's that. those are the two shows that I've been, I've been watching lately. Nice. Um, Cobra Kai is on my list. Uh, it's been on my list ever since they first announced it, but I'm like, I'm not paying for YouTube. No, <laughs> so. dude, dude, dude on Netflix, it is so good. It is <laughs> shockingly uh, engaging and entertaining. I, I, I could not stop watching it. That's awesome. And I, I actually watched Jericho back in the day, so that's awesome to hear that too. So yeah. <laughs> Nice. All right, so our second show is called Respawn Ready, and this is about gaming, uh, be it vi- you know video gaming, uh, we do some tabletop, some card games, whatever you might be playing. So I want to kind of hear what, you, uh, what you've been playing lately. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm really excited for uh, the new Avengers game. Um, yes. I'll be playing that this weekend. Uh, I, I, I played through the initial demo. Um, I... I <laughs> I, I shelled out for the extra $10 so I could play it early, played through the demo, realized I needed to download the rest, and then haven't had a chance to play it the last few days. Uh, so a, a fool and his money. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really excited for Tony Hawk 1 and 2. Um, I, I, I will probably make some time this weekend to play that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, what have I been playing? Um, <laughs> my, you know, one of my cooldown games, uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, is Monster Prom over mm-hmm. uh, on the Switch. You, you would think for a monster dating simulator, that would not be something that I'd be super into. But it is so funny and so well drawn that I, it, it is just the perfect kind of like zone out game. I, I, I laugh so hard every time I play it. Uh, so yeah, those, those are the games I've been playing lately. Um, you know, but it, maybe when my schedule opens up a little bit more, I'll get back into, uh, you know, things like Fallout, um, mm. uh, or or maybe I'll I'll get a chance to finish The Last of Us Part Two. Gotcha. Um, 
do you primarily game on a PlayStation? PlayStation and Switch. Um, okay. Yeah, that's 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 what I've got. Although, I got to tell you, you know, the last few months, um, my with my writing schedule, I have not had as much time to catch up on my gaming as I'd like. Uh, yeah. and so hopefully, when things calm down a little bit, if they ever calm down, I'll uh, I'll, I'll give myself a, 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 a little bit of, a little bit of time. Nice. Uh, I'll give you a quick recommendation because you do play a Switch. Yeah. Uh, there's a game I played it on Xbox, but it is available on Switch called Coffee Talk. Okay. And uh, if you like Monster Prom, you'll probably like this. You play a barista. It's okay. first person, and all you do is basic. It's basically a visual novel. And being a writer, mm. I'm sure you'll appreciate it. It's very interesting. It's a world where it's our modern times, but it's a world where fantasy races exist. So I, I think I like, have heard that. Okay, I have heard of this no, game. I, I I need to check that out. Coffee talk. It's really right. good. Yeah, coffee talk. It's wait. really really good. So, um, but yeah. So, anyways, we'll move on. Uh, our third show is uh, hosted by my stalwart sidekick, host Sway, who could not make it today. He's usually with me on these interviews. Sure. Um, but this show is about music. Uh, we call it the Infinite Playlist, mm-hmm. uh, and the the concept of it is every week we have a different theme. And each of us nominates songs according to the theme. It gets added to a playlist that is continuously building on every major music platform. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you right now, because we just talked about it last night, the playlist is currently at 437 songs. Wow. (laughs) Because we're crazy. Wow. Yeah. yeah, uh, Well, so, you know, it's funny. I... Uh, I usually save a lot of my music for for my writing, and, and because I've been in Kickstarter yeah. mode, I haven't done as much of it. So there's there's really two songs that I have really kind of um, that I've really been into. Um, first of uh, off, and, and maybe this is a little self serving, uh, but my my buddy George Marston um, actually recorded a theme song for the OZ called uh, Heart of Tin, uh, which is is up on YouTube right now. Um, I I that song has been stuck in my head for quite some time. Um, so I, I've been very excited about that. And then um, I'm trying to find the name of the song from the, from the new tenant trailer. Uh, but I have been really into that. Um, I've been kind of putting that uh, Travis Scott's the plan. That's what it's called. Mm, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been, you know, that, that trailer, uh, uh, was was kind of the last free day I had uh, before I've been putting nose to the grindstone, and that's always the kind of vibe that I that I always uh, like when I'm writing. Um, yeah. So yeah, Travis Scott's the plan. Uh, you can add that uh, on the list for me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we um uh, we have a real wide variety of musical t- uh, tastes, so it's always fun to do that and see. Like I'm I'm the pop music apologist of the group, so mm-hmm. every, sometimes we do these interviews and people are like, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, and I'm like, hey. I defend Taylor Swift on a regular basis. So. <laughs> no way! Like, yeah, like, 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 you know what? Taylor, Taylor's got some, 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 some power moves. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I no, I, I whatever. Yeah. From my philosophy is whatever gets the energy going. That's that's yeah. the stuff I'm into. Yeah, same here. Like, especially as you said, writing. I, I do a bit of writing myself, obviously, not to the level that you do, but yeah, you either want something that you've heard a hundred times and you can kind of ignore, but vibe out to, or something maybe without lyrics that, you know, Mm -hmm. is kind of like, you know, just gets you in a mood. So yeah, totally agree. and understand. I'm actually going to check out that. We said heart of 10, right? Yeah. Heart of 10. Uh, yeah. By, by George Marston and bed death. Uh, they, they did a really, uh, terrific, uh, kind of haunting ballad for the OZ. So yeah, it's, it's up on YouTube right now. Anybody can listen to it for free. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a super, it's a, it's a super, uh, beautiful song 
Awesome. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely check that out. I'm going to kick it over to the rest of the group too. So, um, all right. So that leads me to my last question with the original four. Uh, our last uh, show is called We Have Issues. And this is my show, the one that I host every week. And as the intro always proclaims, it's about everything literary, books, comic books, manga, web comics, and whatever else you might be reading. So sure. being that you're a writer, what have you been reading? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I've been reading some really cool stuff lately. Uh, Vault's been doing some 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 cool stuff. Yes. Um, I, I, I got, a, got a chance to read the uh, the Autumnal. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. by uh, my buddy Chris Sheehan. Uh, we, we actually worked on a, on a short story together uh, uh, earlier this year. So it was really exciting to see him take like this really big swing. Um, mm-hmm. Bleed Them Dry over at Vault is also incredible. Uh, that, so good. That's the kind of like triple-decker mashup that I always like. So uh, Elliot Rahal and, and Dyke Ruan are, are killing it on that book. Um uh, Al Ewing had a really excellent issue of Guardians of the Galaxy this week um, mm-hmm. that I think for somebody who often takes maybe more responsibility on his shoulders than he can carry, uh, it was particularly cathartic to read. Um, what else am I reading? Uh, uh, you know, Donny Cates' uh, runs on Thor and Venom. Uh, I think he's kind of the the single highest performing uh, uh, comics writer in the big two right now. Um, he is he's working everything. at a, a, massive speeds and still like managing to like make everything like read well um so yeah um that's that's the stuff that i'm reading so far um but i do have about i I haven't quite caught up with my with my backlog the last couple of weeks so uh, i think in the next two weeks i'll have like a month's worth of stuff that i'm just gonna have to like spend an afternoon just like pouring through yeah, you just named literally books we review every time they come out. Yeah. Uh, so we're big on Thor and Venom. Uh, I'm particularly Thor for me. Thor is the book that got me into comics. Yeah. Um, it was Which run? In the time days. Like yeah, 80s I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. So back then. Oh, so yeah. you're like a, you're like a Simonson like diehard. Yeah, and so Louise going into the Hall of Fame this year, oh, gift broke my heart. I loved it so. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, I started with uh literally a box of books that my dad bought me at an auction and it was x factor it was power pack and it was thor and it was all simonson's and so that was how i started out so yeah but um no yeah but yeah i'm a little thor everybody else on the group really loves venom uh, and they always tell me about it i i can't pick up venom because i just buy too many comic books <laughs> so, yeah. and then a uh, vault you mentioned vault i, I gotta give a shout out to vault uh, we've interviewed a lot of people that uh the books are vault based books uh mm-hmm. but Man, Vault's killing it. They're like, doing, they're really, doing a wonderful you, job. You know what? I thought of two other books that I probably should shout out because I, I had a chance to read them that I really enjoyed. Uh, Lonely Receiver uh, from Aftershock. That's probably mm. my single favorite Aftershock book that I've read since Animosity. Um, think of like her, but minus like the warm fuzzy parts. Uh, just <laughs> go straight to like the horrifying breakup. Right. Um, and uh, I got a chance to read the uh, the Kaiju score. Um, super fun book um I, I it reminds me a lot of john layman's work in chew um, yes. it's got that real that 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 sense of rhythm and humor to it mm-hmm. um yeah I, you know or if you like the fix or if you like four kids walking to a bank or if you like my book going to the mm-hmm. chapel um you're you'll you'll really like that book um i i, I get why it got picked up already um it's yep. it's it's uh, it's really good and uh, i can't wait for uh for the world to see it so yeah those are two other books i got a chance to read this week that uh, i think are, are are pretty darn good 
Nice. Yeah, me and my other co-host, Liz, are huge John Lehman fans. Um, he's actually local to us. Um, so we he's at every Comic-Con local, so we get to see him all the time. I have, I have, a- I have stories. Uh, I have Lehman stories that we can, we can go into because he's one of my favorite people in the industry. But uh, the the way the way that we first met, <laughs> it's a funny story. Um, so yes, yeah. I will I, I will happily tell you that at, at, at some point during this interview. Yeah, let's do it now. Let's just get it out of the yeah, way. Let's do it. So so um, for, for for those who 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 don't know, sort of my secret origin story. Uh, before I was a comics writer, I wrote reviews at Newsarama uh, mm. for about a decade. Uh, I was I was the reviews editor uh, up until uh, only a few weeks ago. I, I I officially stepped down after writing for the site for twelve years. Um, and early in my tenure was around when Chew came out. And, you know, for anybody who remembers when Chew was coming out, that book really was getting rave reviews all the mm-hmm. time. It really, it kind of, it, it built up that platform that Walking Dead had established. And it yep. made Image the place where the creators would go with their hot creator-owned books. It wasn't Vertigo or Wildstorm anymore. It was, it was Image. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think, issue seven of Chew that I wrote a, a short paragraph long review. It was not a negative review. It was just not the lofty levels that, that, that layman had become accustomed. And uh, I had said, you know, I, I really enjoyed chew this, this one installment felt a little bland. And <laughs> uh, when I flash forward to, to, uh, to San Diego comic-con and I go up to the image booth and I introduce myself to, to Laban and Rob Guillory. And I'm like, Hey, I'm David Pepos. I, I write reviews over at Newsarama and the two of them give you, they both turn and look each other in the eyes and they, they, they turn to me, they slide two volume two at me. And there's all these like positive pull quotes on, on the back and then bland Newsarama <laughs> on the back. That and was you. That was me. That was me. I, I remember um, this. Uh, so, so I was just like, I was just like, Layman, you son of a. Uh, and so we've been, we've, we've, we've been friendly since. Um, Layman, Layman and I talk regularly. Um, you know, I, 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 I tease him online, uh, but uh, no, he's, he, he, he's one of the good ones. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think he's, he's super talented. I've always looked at him as a, as a huge influence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I can't call him a mentor cause that would require him acknowledging me. Uh, but you know, <laughs> Layman, Layman is, uh, he, 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 he's a, he's a force unto himself. And, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have a little piece of immortality on, on, on the back of Chew just to remind him to stay humble. Nice. That's amazing. I I distinctly remember that and laughing out like out loud about bland. I'm like just bland of all things. That's great. Um, I actually have a very brief John Lehman story too that you might appreciate. Um, Please. So me, me, and my friend Liz, as I mentioned, uh, we see him every year at Phoenix Comic Con because we're Arizona locals. And uh, one year he's like, "You guys are really big fans. Uh, I have a little bit of information for you." We're like, "Uh huh." He's like, "So there's gonna be a we're planning a Chew cartoon show." Mm-hmm. an animated show I'm like oh really and he's like yeah and he's telling us about it and he's telling us to cast and he he's like and who's gonna play mason well i can't tell you who play is gonna play mason because he's a really big star and it's not been confirmed yet but i think we're gonna be able to get him we're like oh awesome and then a year went by and we got no news and so we went back to Phoenix comic-con and he's there again we're like hey we talked to you last year you told us about the show we haven't heard anything he goes oh he's like yeah that was canceled and we're like who was the big star? And he's like, oh, it was Robin Williams. Yep. And Robin Williams had passed away. And I was, yep. like, <gasps> like, I was like, oh my God. He told me he told me the same thing. And I was just like, oh man, imagine what that could have been. 
Exactly. Like yeah. so, uh, fingers crossed. But, you yeah. know, I, 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 I have high hopes for Chu. Um, oh yeah. And and I, I, I think the world of Layman. Um, now yeah. you have that recorded, so Layman can play that every night before he goes to sleep. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I uh, he, he's a very talented writer and um, uh, with with tons of great concepts. And in any mm-hmm. just world, uh, John Layman would be rocking the top ten uh, every single month. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. So uh, I do want to go ahead and move on, start talking about you and stop, you know, patting John Lehman on the back. Let's talk about your origin story. Cause you did mention you wrote reviews for news drama. Um, like, were you into comics as a kid? Uh, like yeah. how did you discover comics? Um, you know, uh, so I am a third generation comics fan. Uh, my mother was a comics reader. My grandfather was a comics reader. Um, I distinctly remember the first comic I ever got uh, was Amazing Spider-Man 346, which was the issue mm-hmm. before Spider-Man and Venom had their big fight on the island. Um, mm-hmm. And so seeing that Eric Larson, Spider-Man and Venom just like web slinging through the city and just beating the hell out of each other, uh, you know, as a five-year-old, that blows your mind. Um, and I, I, I got a handful of other comics. I got an issue of Cap uh, where it was him and Jack Frost fighting an ice worm uh, in the Arctic. They were looking for D-Man. Um, mm-hmm. uh, an issue of Silver Surfer that the Surfer was not actually in. Um, it was Adam Warlock fighting Drax the Destroyer and the Soul Gem. I didn't understand any of it, but it looked <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. And then uh, an issue of the Incredible Hulk where uh, Hulk pours radioactive waste on the Abomination's face. Uh, I don't think my parents read <laughs> that before they gave it to me. And uh, kind of the capstone for it all was uh, my dad got me a copy of Infinity War number two. And, nice. you know, this big gatefold cover, you see the heroes all fighting one another. And when you're five years old, you're like, oh, wait, they all know each other. They're, <laughs> they're all in the same world. Like, that's amazing. And I got to meet characters like Wolverine and Hawkeye and, and, uh, and Mr. Fantastic. And I was just like, these these guys are awesome. Um, and so you know, I would come in and out of it in, 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 in waves. Um, and, you know, things like, for example... Uh, Daredevil, the man without fear or uh, death and return of Superman or nightfall or Batman Gotham Knights or spawn or crimson or mm-hmm. uh, civil war or Jeff Johns's teen Titans or, um, or Grant Morrison's JLA and new X-Men and Batman um, and things like why the last man and transmet. Um, uh, so you know, good. I, I, I would come back and forth and, 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 and waves and, um, yeah, you know, I, I I think for me when I when I went to college and I was reading things like Y and and and, and New X Men and, and the like, um, I had this thought of like, what's your astronaut job? You know, you're pie in the sky. The job very shows up says, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, I, I'd love to do something in comics. And granted, I I grew up in the Midwest. Um, you know, I I didn't know any professional writers in any capacity, so I really didn't know what I was getting myself into, but um. <laughs> After after four years of calling, um, I managed to get an internship at DC Comics uh, my senior year, and um, I so I worked on things like Final Crisis and Batman R.I.P. and uh, uh, Green Lantern Secret Origins, um, nice. and it really it, you know it was a wonderful experience. Uh, you know, it really kind of opened my eyes and it made me realize like, oh, there are people who they make their living this way, and it it sort of broke down all the different components of making a comic. 
because I, I think, you know, a lot of, of, of casual fans, like they might know their favorite writers and they might know certain mm-hmm. big name artists, but they're not going to know like who the anchor was or the color, the letterer. Letter. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Like, they're not going to know, you know, there was a production artist working on things. They're not going to know the marketing or the publicity or the creative services department, mm-hmm. let alone the editors. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it was, it was a wonderful experience, but it was also at the height of the recession. Um, mm-hmm. there, there were no jobs to be had at DC or, or anywhere else for that matter. And, um, uh, I was really fortunate that I crossed paths with Janelle Aslan, um, who at the time, uh, had just joined the Batman office. Um, but she was an alumni from Newsarama. And so, uh, she was kind enough to introduce me to her former editor over there, Troy Brownfield, who really became my mentor um, and still is my mentor. Uh, he, he was in charge of the Best Shots Review team over there. And when Troy uh, retired, uh, he, he passed the position down to me. And so uh, I, I was working by day as a newspaper reporter. Uh, I was covering uh, crime and state politics and, uh, and and then smaller beats like the local mental health beat, the local military beat, which would, would go on to inform a lot of my work um, while I was working at Newsarama. And eventually I kind of switched gears in my career um, through through a, a lot of happenstance that that is, is too long to, to detail here. I wound <laughs> up um, getting a job at CBS in New York. I was working in their corporate division. I was working with their publicity teams and their PR teams. Mm -hmm. So I worked on um, all their different primetime shows, things like Big Bang Theory, Supergirl, NCIS, uh, Blue Bloods, um, you know, Two and a Half Men. Mm -hmm. So um, at the time, it was all these things were very formative on me. I just didn't know it yet. Um, But I, you know, I I learned, for example, you know, how to write on a deadline and not be scared of a page count. Or, you know, I kind of learned how to break down and synthesize what I liked about comics and what I didn't um, and really have to articulate and back my, my back up my opinions. Um, and then working at CBS, the thing that really was formative for me was, uh, you know, for example, take the Big Bang Theory. Right. I wouldn't call that the most sophisticated comedy on television by, by a wide margin, um, but it was the most popular comedy on television for a very long time. And because I was in charge of writing ratings releases, I worked with our research team and they kind of explained why. They said, you know, first off, all these all these episodes are very accessible. You can watch any episode, know exactly what you're getting into. Um, and also it was based on how they marketed it and how they did their publicity and sort of, they would have things like uh, lead-in programming where, you know, as Big Bang Theory was growing, they would have more, uh, they, they, they would have, higher rated shows leading into it. So if you watched, for example, mm-hmm. NCIS, if that was what was popular at the, at the moment, more people would just say, eh, I'm going to keep watching. I'm not going to change the channel. And then they're like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, I like this Big Bang Theory. Um, it made me realize that having, having something on the page is just the first step. Um, you could have the, 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 the best written book in the world. It will not sell itself. You have to actually do the work to sell it. And that became very formative for me in how I, I approach publicity with, with my books. Um, at the same time, I was feeling very restless. Um, you know, I, I, uh, it, it took me a bit to, to, to realize, to give myself permission of this idea to maybe try writing. And even at the time when I wrote uh, my first book, Spencer and Locke, at the time I'd kind of put the cart before the horse and I said, well, 
maybe I'll be an editor or maybe I'll be a development executive. And a great way to show that I can break down the story is to write one of my own. And mm-hmm. looking back on it, it's like, you idiot. Like if you can just write a good story, maybe you <laughs> should just be a writer. Um, but that was sort of what it took for me to convince myself to try it is I wrote a first issue script and I was like, okay, like I've written shorts before, but like, I like this. And then maybe I'll write an outline just for fun. And I was like, okay, that works. I'll approach an artist just to have it drawn, you know, just to see how that feels. Okay. And then, you know, I'll just shop it around for funsies. Why not? And then suddenly Action Lab Entertainment emails me and says, how soon can you get this book done? And you feel (laughs) that like cold chill run down your spine. And you're like, oh, I just like accidentally tricked myself into selling a book. Um, And even then, it wasn't until the first volume of Spencer and Locke came out that I gave myself permission to say, maybe I should, I can make a run at this. Yeah. Um, you know, because that, that book, for those who have not read it, the high concept is what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? And yes. as, as far as high concepts go, that is playing with fire. Um, you know, I, I, a book like that, you either succeed or fail, but you don't do it quietly. Um, there's no quiet way to do a book <laughs> like that. And so I, you know, as the book was coming out, I was, I was half convinced that I was like, there's every chance of me getting run out of the industry for this. Um, and oh, yeah. so I better make this like the best book that I possibly can, but also like my bucket list book, you know, of, of, if, if there's anything that I can do in this book, um, you know, I, I want, I want to do it here because I might not get another chance. Yeah, your one um, shot. You know, yeah, it. It, was, it was my one <laughs> shot. And also sort of for me trying to be considerate of my collaborators because I was like, oh, if George Santiago Jr. goes down with me on this, uh, I want to make sure that he's got a portfolio that's got everything in it so he can get more work. <laughs> um, Definitely. So uh, so that was sort of my, my secret origin. Um, you know, I, I always say that my, my, my path, like my storytelling, is not straightforward. It's, uh, it's less <laughs> of a straight line and more of a zigzag. But you'd be shocked. I think success in comics is never overnight. It comes in years, not weeks or months. And you would be shocked at how the, how jobs you would think would have no bearing on your future wind up teaching you these important survival skills that you wind up taking with you day after day. Nice. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, you had quite the path and worked for a wide variety of, you know, different entities and, uh yeah i can see what you're saying how you took a bit from each and, and now that's you know informing who you are now and you brought up spencer and lock i want to talk about spencer and lock Let's but do i it. do have one quick question because you mentioned dc and there's an ongoing debate amongst our group who's the best robin <sighs> well i'm i'm sure i'm gonna have an answer that nobody's gonna like but uh tim drake um you know, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. well oh, oh, hold on let me re- let me rephrase that i mean dick grayson was probably the best but i i, mm-hmm. I appreciate him as nightwing um yeah. you know like i've always grown up seeing him just as as nightwing and and yeah, robin to me in for him is just like it's a past incarnation i hopefully i'm not burning any bridges no, it's here i have i have i have teased my friend michael mokio who's uh who, who is now uh an editor over at mad cave i've teased him for years saying that damian wayne should have stayed dead um oh. you know i <laughs> i think batman needs a dead robin and whether it's damian or jason i just one of them um i i, I find it I, I find the world is not big enough for two of them and uh i would i would i would i would find it narratively neater 
to um to do away with 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 young damien uh but uh the rest of the world disagrees uh, yes <laughs> but <laughs> you know what my, my girlfriend also loves damien so i can't i can't uh i, I can't fault you too hard but uh <laughs> yeah I, I i can't i i i can't stand that tim drake erasure um and it t- you know what I, I i i will say it like this it took a lot of convincing for me to fall in love with hal jordan after kyle rayner mm-hmm. existed um mm-hmm. i think jeff did such a superlative job in selling Hal Jordan that like I was like okay I, I I dig this guy I'm not I'm not as mad that Kyle Rayner's kind of in the periphery now I think that's a little how I feel about my, my poor boy Tim Drake and that's why I, I am glad to see Bendis was doing something with him over in Young Justice even if yeah. he named him after a duck um, uh, you know Drake is <laughs> Drake is it's not the most dangerous Drake. bird unless you are terrified of ducks <laughs> but um, this week actually he took the name Robin back. I, I heard. I need to read that. Uh, yeah. I haven't read it yet, but I. Uh, uh, so yes. Um, uh, so that's 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 probably my uh, my unpopular opinion is I I'm a I'm a Tim Drake apologist, and uh, you know what James Tynan agrees with me. So uh, so I guess I'm in good company. Gotcha. Uh, no, we are the podcast of bad opinions, so don't worry. <laughs> um, so, um, my co-host Elizabeth is obsessed with Jason Todd. She absolutely loves Jason Todd. It's her favorite DC character by a wide margin. Wow. Uh, I'm I'm a Damien boy. I like Damien. Wow. Uh, but, okay. No, no, that's cool. Then, that's cool. And then Josue, I think, is undecided but leans towards Dick. Okay. Um, oh wow! We, so uh, I'm really in the minority with this podcast. Okay. That's that's that's, that's no, cool. I, I think. But I, I will say this: the 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 Robin book that mm-hmm. Tim led, yeah, was one of the best books DC's done in a long time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think I think for me, seeing his arc, his arc that, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, it's funny. I keep going back to Jeff Johns because I think he was he was a formative writer for me growing up. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that his arc on Teen Titans? really spoke to me and the fact mm-hmm. that he's 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 in in many ways before before damien damien is like so close to bruce like in personality whereas i felt like tim was was the guy who like he's the real heir apparent he's the guy who can think like bruce wayne but like doesn't yeah. want to and mm-hmm. um and so this idea of him saying like you know i became robin because i wanted to help but I think that's kind of the limit of my involvement here. And I don't mm-hmm. want to become Batman. And this idea of Batman being a curse that like he's kind of destined mm-hmm. to, to, to do because out of all of the sidekicks, he's the smartest. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's he's something. He's the detective. Of the... Yeah, he's the detective. He's, he's yep. the one who I've always said that like if, if like scorched earth like stuff happened, um, you know, it would either be Tim or Barbara who would mm-hmm. make who would be the last one standing uh, yeah. and be the one sort of to, to, to go out and get the reinforcements. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> Tim, Tim Drake has a, a special place in my heart. Um, and I think Tynan really kind of sealed the deal for me with his recent uh, detective comics run um, yeah. where he just made, he just made uh, Tim Drake just the most uh, engaging and, and, and empathetic figure um so yes that's that's my hill that i choose to die on i is 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 late 90s early 2000s batman that's like mm-hmm. my sweet spot that's my jam you know give me some of that sweet sweet cataclysm and no man's land and bruce wayne fugitive 
Um, yeah. Like, just get that in my veins. Uh, <laughs> I think I think now when I, this Kickstarter is done, like you've inspired me, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to spend an afternoon just reading 90s Batman comics because that sounds like <laughs> the most fun thing I could possibly do right now. Nice. Um, and to be fair, uh, I'll make this very clear. I like Barbara Gordon more than I like any of the Robins. So I'm a Batgirl guy. So, Are, yeah. well, that, okay. So, how do you feel about Cassandra Kane? I love Cass Kane. Okay. I think she's unique enough that she's mm-hmm. completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not care for her portrayal in Birds of Prey, the movie, mostly because it was so different. Yes. And that's such a unique character that that's not one you needed to throw away. Yes. That's, I think, I that's couldn't a, have an original character. That's a great then, way of phrasing uh, it. Yeah, and then my host, my co-host Liz, her boyfriend or husband, I should say, they just got married. Um, he is the big, world's biggest Stephanie Brown fan in the world, so like, it's, he, oh, he just loves Stephanie. Okay. So, right. so we have all of their opinions. <laughs> We're big on the Bat family here. So. Yes, yes. Uh, well, you know, Batman Gotham Knights. If you haven't read it, I, I always try to evangelize yeah. that in every every podcast I do because um, I think Devin Grayson is uh, the fact mm-hmm. that, that 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 book has not been collected in trade is downright criminal. Uh, they only yeah. have one trade available right now, and I think they are in the process of maybe getting a second one. But um, I would not, I wouldn't be a comics writer. I'm not sure I would continue reading comics if Devin Grayson wasn't around. Um, and that run on Batman in particular was so psychological and so poignant um, that it really like was the the, the kind of the ur text uh, mm-hmm. of everything that I've written since. And nice. she was she was kind enough. I sent her a fan letter after my first book came out, um, <laughs> and telling her like this wouldn't exist without you. And she was very gracious about it. Um, excuse me. Awesome. So yeah, um, so yeah that that late nineties early two thousands Batman run uh, that that is that is exclusively my jam. Sweet, awesome. Well, I'm glad to get your opinion on that because that's an ongoing debate amongst us. Um, <laughs> but uh more of a fun debate like because uh we all agree they're all better than batman because none of us really like batman all that much. <laughs> so, um but okay so yeah i want to talk about your work because i got a lot of <laughs> stuff i want to get to uh starting off with spencer and Locke. okay yeah. so you, you talked about it a bit you already gave us the 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 core uh concept of it sure. so yeah calvin and Hobbes grow up in sin city mm-hmm. um the one thing I want to talk about first, uh, and uh, you mentioned him uh, with George Santiago Jr., the artist. Yeah. Um, did he? Do, he did the flashbacks. the like the actual flashback ones too, he huh? Did. He did. That was all. That's him. crazy. That's uh, some real talent. Like I really ex- like that. He's extremely talented. When I when I uh, when I reached out to him, he had just graduated his MFA program at SCAD, mm-hmm. and. Um, that was the thing that I had done when I got started looking for an artist was I hit up all the grad schools um, just cause I was like, you know, I'm kind of new at this. I want to work with somebody who's kind of young and hungry like me. And yeah. Um, yeah. When I, when I hit up George, I, uh, he, uh, I specifically remember, remember asking him, I was like, so do you want me to find like another artist to do the flashbacks? He's like, no, nah, I got it. And I was like, you got it. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I got it. Um, and yeah, he does, he does, uh, the, the sickest Bill Watterson impression. Um, it's not, you know, it's he not, does. it's not beat for beat Bill. It's, it's still George, but it's enough that you immediately get what he's going for. And he, he, he and I talked a lot about sort of the visual vocabulary of the original Calvin and Hobbes. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's my ride or die. We're, we're actually, um, while I'm writing Spencer and Lock three now, and it's been a little slow going cause I've had other wow. projects to juggle. Um, he, he and I are actually working on a superhero one shot right now. 
Um, uh, uh, so yeah, he, he's, he's my ride or die. We are, we are going to work together until the wheels come off. Nice. Um, yeah, so I'm, a, a one thing our viewers know about me is that I am a diehard noir fan. <laughs> and so as soon as I picked up Spencer and Locke, I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, um, so basically, as we said, the, the, the concept of uh, Calvin and Hobbes growing up in this basically terrible situation and he becomes a cop, a detective and uh, his imaginary partner becomes his partner basically. And um, it's really great. And I really like the flashbacks coinciding very well with the story beats of the modern storytelling. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I just love this book, man. And I'm sorry, you just got me because you said you're working on Spencer and Locke 3 and that just made my night. Because that was one of my questions. We are are slowly but surely working on Volume 3. We announced it, uh, I want to say it was at New York Comic Con last year. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was last year. Um, And and any delay on that is entirely on me. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is, is between Spencer and Locke and Spencer and Locke 2, I had no other projects to work on. Um, right. Since Spencer and Locke 2, I've written six books and I probably owe one or two more. Um, <laughs> so it's it's it, it's a good thing. You're going to get more work from me, uh, but it also means that you get more time to kind of digest uh, Spencer and Locke 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're doing um, a Garfield themed serial killers picking off the Peanuts gang. And um, Spencer and Locke are caught in the middle. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts to that script. And that's part of why it's been a little slow going um, is that I feel like for this book, I'm climbing Everest three times. Um, you know, with our sequel, we did Calvin and Hobbes versus Beetle Bailey. And the, the, yeah. the advantage for that is there's not a lot of high expectation about Beetle Bailey. You know, he, he's a little right. bit more of a niche character. Uh, Garfield Definitely. and Peanuts are just as recognizable and iconic as Calvin yeah. Hobbes. Iconic and, is the word, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, and so figuring out, like, what's what's the stuff I have to use because I'm not going to get three volumes to explore them? Um, what are the things that I have to put in there? How are these pieces, these pieces and moving parts going to fit together while still sort of operating within the general Spencer and Locke framework that that I already have envisioned? So uh, the plus side is I... I, I I know how the book ends, uh, so that's that. That has been set in stone for a very long time, uh, since before I approached George. Actually, um, uh, I, that's how long this idea has been burning in my back pocket. It's just really the fine tuning um, mm-hmm. of, of everything. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a book that's near and dear to me. We're bringing the team back. George and Jason Smith are are, are already said that they're coming back. Um, nice. So, because uh, yeah, I would never do this series without them. Um, yeah. so, so, uh, as, 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 you know, barring anybody, you know, barring me like getting hit by a bus or something that's, that's, that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I've just been, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, uh, have more projects since then. Um, you know, mm-hmm. things like going to the chapel, uh, the OZ, uh, my upcoming book, Grand Theft Astro, which we are finally starting to get our ducks in a row, uh, with art on that, nice. um, since that book has been written and waiting for a few months now, um another book that uh we haven't announced yet um that probably will get announced relatively soon um and a few other things that have sort of been in in slow development um Mm -hmm. 
it's great. It's a wonderful place to be in. But yes, I uh, as 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 a young Jewish boy, um, I I live with guilt. Uh, it's my constant friend, <laughs> and so uh, I every day that Spencer and Lock Three is not written, I'm like, oh, I've gotten all this work done, and I still need to write Spencer and Lock Three. Uh, but I hope <laughs> that our readers know that for me, I would much rather this book be late than bad. Uh, yes, I would much rather it take time, and when people see what we have in store with our plans for that third volume, mm-hmm. the gap will actually make sense. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, this is sort of our, 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 our big finale, our grand slam, our final word on the subject. Um, it's not to say that if like the demand was, was there that we wouldn't, we couldn't do more, but mm-hmm. three was always kind of the number that I was shooting for. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's a plan. Um, it's just, we're kind of fine tuning it a bit and then, yeah, yeah that makes sense. you know, getting, getting, uh, getting George's, uh, uh, wonderful artwork on, on, on board. He actually works traditionally. Unlike a, a lot of people he's, he's drawing and inking by hand. And so that, that takes a little bit of time, but, uh, the final product is so impeccable that, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I always think that it's worth it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, and it, it, you can tell it's got a really nice quality to it. So I did want to give it uh, a little bit of a plug for our readers because I want you guys to pick it up. Uh, Spencer yeah. Lock Volume 1 is available on Kindle if you have yes. a Kindle membership. Yes. Um, uh, so that's how I, I first found it was through that. So Yeah, I was going to say Kindle membership or uh, Comicsology Unlimited. Um, yep. the, the, volume 1 is available on, on, on that. And then, yeah, you can get uh, Volume 2 is, is mm-hmm. also out. And I think I, I want to say... The Kindle version of it is like maybe six dollars. Um, it is it is yeah, it is criminally cheap. I think it's five, uh, think yeah, it's five, five or yeah. six dollars. It's 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 dirt cheap. Um, uh, or if you you know if you want all of my stuff, we've got packages uh, in the OZ's Kickstarter where we've either got kind of a digital stockpile, you got PDFs of all of my work, or uh, the print stockpile where you can get uh, hard copies of our trades. Nice. And uh, just to give another shout out, as you mentioned, to your creative team, because, again, we're, we're really big on making sure everybody involved gets a shout out. Absolutely. Um, obviously, George Santiago with the art, Jason Smith with colors, uh, Colin Bell with the letters. Yep. Um, and this is published by Action Labs, who's yeah. been on our radar lately. We've had a couple books from them come up, so that's really cool. Awesome. Um, and as you mentioned, I did want to briefly talk about volume two, because, uh, yeah, again, we bring in a different uh, comic uh, from the funny pages, Beetle Bailey. Yeah. Um, we're... we're like were you really big on on like the daily comics and the papers mm-hmm. as a kid? I used to, you know, I, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, yeah. uh, home of the St. Louis Post Dispatch. Um, I'm right. sure that's part of the reason why I wound up becoming a newspaper reporter um, mm-hmm. uh, and and worked in journalism for basically half my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, so I, I read the funny pages every single day, and mm-hmm. you know it's one of those things that like Beetle Bailey always stood out to me uh, because as a character he had a very strong point of view in a, in a very strong direction you know it's not mm-hmm. just like kind of slice of life stuff or like jokes being told by animals this is like guys in a military base it's 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 something it's almost by like a like a bygone era uh, but mm-hmm. i think it, when it when it comes to characterization somebody's job really plays a big role in who they are um you know okay. uh it, whether you're you're a crusading reporter like clark kent or you're um you're a lawyer like Matt Murdock um, or, you know, or you're uh, you're a paramedic like uh, like the night nurse, your job <laughs> often shapes your skill set and your perspective and your priorities. So um, 
Beetle Bailey as a soldier, that always really kind of stood out to me. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, the, the hardest thing about writing Spencer in Lock Volume 1 was knowing what I had in store for Volume 2. Uh, <laughs> you know, so many people were like, oh man, I can't believe you did this to Calvin and Hobbes. And it took all of my willpower to not say, well, wait till you see what we do to the rest of the funny pages. <laughs> um, you know, exactly right because uh, because yeah i i was just i you know fables was 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 a, a very influential book on me as a kid uh yes. or in high school i should say and i remember reading all the trades in my local library um but the idea of sort of again it goes back to that infinity war book they're all in the same world um and mm-hmm. so thinking like oh like they all live in the funny pages like why wouldn't they all be in the same world and so, you know, having characters like Roach Riley, who was our homicidal riff on Beetle Bailey, um, uh, Miranda Mercury, or, or sorry, Melinda Mercury, um, uh, you know, our analog of Brenda Starr, um, mm-hmm. you know, Hal and Lana Forrester, our riffs on, ha- on High and Lois, um, you know, down to like cameos, like we had a Dick Tracy uh, homage uh, before he gets murdered with a helicopter. We shove uh, yep. Dilbert's head in a toilet because Scott Adams is a jerk. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, we had one panel that I was so glad that people understood the reference that we had Locke dragging away poor Billy from the family circus. And he had like the little dotted line come, uh, uh, following him as he was being dragged away. Uh, you know, that those those sorts of little winks and nods. Uh, I'm, we, had, we had BDSM Nancy and Sluggo in that first issue. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that Ringo nominated first issue now. So I, I can say that I, I, I was clearly, that. as clearly, uh, <laughs> forward thinking on that one. Um, so yeah, I, I just, um, yeah, you know, that series, I, you know, I, I looked a lot at things like, um, the dark Knight and the Godfather yeah. part two and empire strikes back. Um, you know, the, the best thing, of, of, uh, uh, there's so many good sequels out there. Not a whole lot of good threequels, which is part of the other reason why I'm a little slow. Is I, I don't I don't have as, as many good role models, uh, but it, it, it's uh, you you want to escalate things, and yeah, the advantage is you've already set up the groundwork for your main characters, so now you're able to like pit them against like a really impossible threat, and see mm. how they get out of it. And getting into Roe Trilley's headspace was so much fun. Um, you know that character's like yeah. pure id um uh yeah you know, he's crazy he's he's uh, like it's, it's wonderful like I, I love the development of him yeah he's you know he's kind of heath ledger's joker beats the deer hunter um, mm, that's good and, i like that actually yeah and uh yeah just you know the the fact that his calculus in sort of his shattered psyche is that um his scars have meaning and that mm. his scars give him power and if you've had the worst day of your life then nothing else can hurt you by comparison and so, you know, Locke is always the guy who's trying to transcend his scars. He's trying to move past his traumatic and horrific and abusive upbringing. And Roach is the guy that wallows in it. Roach is the guy who ultimately says, like, you can't forget the past. Like, the past does shape you. And you're better off embracing it. And right. um, so, you know, it's it kind of a fun um, meeting of the minds. It's not just not just a sort of a hand-to-hand combat uh, although, you know, some of our hand-to-hand combat moments, um, I, I, I love uh, makeshift weaponry and sort of this very kind of brutal use everything around you combat. And uh-huh. um, so Spencer and Locke too, I, I got to scratch that edge pretty good. 
Nice. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Family Circus because after I read Volume 2, I was like, is he going to make a Volume 3? And then I immediately started thinking about all the funny pages and how I would darken them. (laughs) And Family Circus was the one that popped in my head. I was like, mob family. We we have a Family Circus idea that's in our back pockets that if if Volume 3, if people really loved Volume 3 enough for us to go back to the well one more time, we have a Family Circus story that is... uh, uh, super bleak uh super funny george loves it george has george george had had at one point said what if we what if we pushed the garfield arc one more arc and i said are you kidding me like we've barely survived the first two um (laughs) i i uh but but uh you know that's sort of that's that's the idea in my back pocket it's a it's a fun idea um yeah this would be a story sort of set prior to the first volume It'd be kind of our Spencer unlock year one, mm. um, and the family circus would play a, a very big role in that. Nice, uh, but uh, okay. who knows? You know, uh, yeah, we'll never see. say never. But also, sequels <laughs> are really hard. Um, and uh, I, I will say, having worked on the Spencer unlock sequel and now working on another one, um, I never say never. You know, especially things like the OZ, where we've so far had a lot of demand and a lot of uh, of, of of good response. But yeah. if I have to choose between a sequel and a new thing, uh, my heart right now always says do the new thing um, because yeah. I'm lazy and weak. <laughs> but uh, that said, I always write with an idea in my back pocket because you never know what's going to take off. I certainly didn't expect Spencer and Locke was going to take off. Um, yeah. And the fact that it did, you know, I, I couldn't be more, more, more grateful to, to our readers. Mm hmm. Nice. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it, so I can tell you Thank that you. much. So, um, And then I do want to transition over to your next book, uh, which I also read, uh, Going to the Chapel. Yeah. Uh, now, th- this is thematically pretty different. It's obviously not nearly as grim. There's, there's a lot of playfulness to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's very cinematic is the way the way Thank I would you. describe it, reading it. Like, I was like, this could easily be a movie. Yeah. Like an ensemble action comedy, like yeah, one hundred percent, this could be a movie. So. I, I, you know, I, I would love that. Um, you know, going to the chapel. It's funny. If I thought selling Spencer and Locke was hard, and it was, um, I'd probably pitch that to every publisher in town. And I remember a top five publisher telling me Spencer and Locke was the best pitch they'd never publish. Uh, which I I wear that as a badge <laughs> of honor. Uh, I'm still friendly with with the guy who told me that. Um, like I I take I. Not, I do not take it personal in the slightest. Um, you know, uh, I take it as, as the same sort of compliment as the guy who called it kindergarten level Alan Moore, um, where I'm like, you don't know how insults work. <laughs> um, going to the chapel, I thought, you know, Spencer and Locke did really well. It was, yeah. uh, you know, it was critically acclaimed, got five Ringo Award nominations. It was optioned for film. Um, I shopped going to the chapel all over town. And I was told repeatedly, we love this idea and we have no idea how to sell a rom-com. And I, I kind of felt a little, (laughs) the more rejections I got, the more confident I felt in the book. (laughs) I kind of was like, well, I I will get this book made. I will print this thing in my garage if I have to. Um, (laughs) I, I believe if I believe in the project enough to actually pursue having it written and drawn and pitched, I feel good about this and I know that there's a market somewhere. Um, yeah. And so, you know, uh, action lab was kind enough to, 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 they, they, they didn't hesitate 
for, for, for an instant. I think it's because they knew they had worked with me already uh, mm-hmm. on Spencer and Locke. Um, so they knew that I was kind of, I, I, I would put in the, the legwork. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that book, um, I feel vindicated about that book. Um, yeah. That, that, the, the, the way the book was received, uh, that was actually just nominated for a Ringo Award last week. Nice, um, thank you. Um, you know, it, that was the little indie that could. Um, mm-hmm. and, and for those who haven't read Going to the Chapel, I like to describe that as uh, Die Hard beats Wedding Crashers. Um, <laughs> you know, or, 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 or Ocean's Eleven meets Arrested Development at a wedding. Um, it's, it's very arrested development. That's actually a great comparison. We, I love we, that. We, we 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 wear that influence very proudly on our sleeves, down to uh, uh, the bride's mother looking exactly like Lucille Bluth. Um, is <laughs> the, the the book is about um, a wealthy bride who has a case of cold feet on the day of her wedding, but before she can say anything, her the big day is hijacked by a gang of Elvis themed bank robbers who are looking to steal a priceless jewel necklace on loan for the event. Unfortunately, they have not accounted for the dysfunctional family of the bride. And so the heist gets totally botched. Police surround the chapel. And suddenly this bride decides she has to become the ringleader of her own hostage situation to get out of walking down the aisle. Yep. Um, That book, you know, it's funny. It, 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 it it was a very personal book for me in a lot of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. I, (laughs) the idea came up. I was the world's worst best man at my oldest friend's wedding. Um, <laughs> the, the, going to the chapel actually began and ended with kidney stones. Um, I, <laughs> I, I had scheduled my friend's bachelor party. He was living in North Carolina at the time. I live in Los Angeles. Um, I, he said, I want to do a bachelor party in Asheville, North Carolina. So of course I'm planning the whole thing remotely. And then a few days before I'm supposed to leave for the bachelor party, I come down with a gnarly kidney stone. Like I think it was like a four millimeter kidney stone. And it, if you've never had a kidney stone, it's the worst pain you'll feel in your entire life. Um, Mm -hmm. It incapacitated me for a week. Um, It was, I I lost five pounds. (laughs) Like I was barely eating. I was on painkillers that I couldn't, I I, I couldn't stand. Uh, The vertigo was so bad. Um, And so I missed my friend's bachelor party and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, (laughs) The Airbnb was trashed. I guess the guy who I rented it from just didn't mark it in the calendar. So he just didn't have it cleaned. Um, The booze cruise that I had rented, there's something happened with that. Um, I had rented inflatable sumo suits for some backyard wrestling, not knowing that the backyard (laughs) was at a 45 degree angle. Um, Excellent. It, it, it was, and, and so my friend who has never had a kidney stone, so I don't think he quite understood like the severity of all this. Um, you know, I think he was a little hurt that I couldn't be there. And so he's calling me to try to get me to troubleshoot all this while I'm on the wrong side of the country in agonizing pain on painkillers. And the first thing I thought of was, well, at least it didn't happen during the wedding. And then I thought, but what if oh, it no. did? What if it did? And so I thought, what, what is the definition of the world's worst wedding? And my first instinct was if the father of the bride had hired some leg breakers to tell my friend to beat it. And then I realized, no, that's not the worst thing that could happen at all. The worst thing that could happen is if the bride decided to get cold feet. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of emotional depth to that kind of story, especially with, right. with a female lead. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, it's, it's, it's a joke at this point to be like, Oh, the guy can't commit, you know, drag him to the altar. Um, <laughs> but you don't see a lot of stories about women grappling with their sense of commitment, which honestly they should. I mean, they have way much more to lose than we do. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I, I kind of thought like, Oh, this would be kind of, this would be kind of fun. And going to the chapel also in a lot of ways was absolutely a response to the first Spencer and Locke. Um, every time I write a book, you know, like I mentioned, I had kind of that bucket list when I hit Spencer and Locke. And what I, I couldn't have accounted for was when I finished writing it, I had a brand new bucket list. Every book that I work on, I get more thing. I check things off in the bucket list, but I add things to it as well. And right. so I had said, for example, uh, I, I, Spencer and Locke is a fairly intimate cast, you know, uh, it's, it's fairly small. So I wanted like a big sweeping cast. So we have 15 or 16 people in one location. Mm -hmm. Um, Big ensemble. Yeah. A big ensemble piece. I didn't want to rely on narrative captions because I think that they are an important tool in comics, Mm -hmm. but I do think that they are at times overused or used as crutches. Um, right. there, was a, there was a big period of the New 52, for example, where that's it was like just being slammed with these narrative captions that were just like, you know, it was it was telling and not showing. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so I wanted I wanted to do that. I also, you know, Spencer and Locke, um, it's bleak, <laughs> you know, and yeah. so I wanted something. I wanted to tell something that was a little lighter on its feet um, tonally and uh, also just the idea of trying to reclaim romantic comedies because I've always felt like they get a bad rap. um, And that's because we've had a lot of bad ones. And so Mm -hmm. it's just, what are the best things that we can do in a rom-com? You know, like Bridget Jones's diary, for example, you know, you see in the poster, like, of course, like probably Hugh Grant is not going to be the guy, but like, at least they (laughs) give him like a fighting chance. Um, And so that was something that I kind of wanted was I wanted the love triangle. So you, you don't really know, how that's going to play out. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's just as feasible for her to wind up with her fiance, Jesse, as it is with Tom, the bank robber, or for her to just say, I'm going to wind up by myself. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, that book was a labor of love in, in a lot of ways. Um, it was one of the hardest books I've ever written um, because I kind of deprived myself of a lot of tools that I use. And meanwhile, I also like, gave myself every possible challenge that I could work with. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm so happy with how that book turned out, uh, you know, working with Gavin Guidry and Liz Kramer, our colorist. Um, Liz is, is just out of this world. Terrific. Um, mm-hmm. And, and our letterer, Ariana Mayer, um, you know, that was, if Spencer and Locke was direct market catnip, going to the chapel was direct market counter programming. Yeah. And I think it spoke to, a philosophy that I have uh, with a lot of my work is I always want to invite more people to the table. I want to build that wider consensus. I, I, uh, I love the comics industry, but I think we can be a little insular. And, and, and so we wind up preaching to the choir when we should be out looking for converts. And so that's always been my thing is I, I want that's why I kind of keep playing with different genres and why I wanted to try something with rom-coms. Cause I said, you know, how many direct market comics out there are even targeted for women? Um, yeah. You know, and, and sort of having something that has romance it, 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 as a core component while still sort of, you know, having that crime element, you know, it's sort of, you get the, it's, it's the spoonful of sugar 
you know, helping the medicine go down is that, you know, there are dudes who are just like, oh, this is a fun rock and crime story. And there are women who are like, this is like a sweet dysfunctional romance. And they're both right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was kind of, that was, that was kind of the thing I've, I've been so excited and I can't wait for, for cons to come back when it's safe because mm-hmm. so many people, when I, when I would, uh, sell them on going to the chapel, they would be like, I didn't know that there were comics for me. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I don't read comics and this one I can read. And that's always been the goal is, you know, uh, everybody's got a favorite comic. They just don't know what it is yet. Yeah. And uh, I consider myself every every indie creator. It's incumbent upon them to be an ambassador for the rest of the industry, and that's something that I always try to do with with the types of books that I pitch. Yeah, definitely. And one thing we talk about a lot on my show is that this day and age, like there's such a variety of stuff out there, and the work that independent publishers are doing, whether it's the bigger ones like boom and idw mm-hmm. or ones like action labs or vault who we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier they're really opening everything up to a whole new audience and yeah. vault vault specifically we've talked about them a couple times but a lot of their books are female facing yeah and they specifically avoid superhero stories they yep. tell fantasy sci-fi horror and now they just um they rebranded their their the young adult their kids line which is great those books look, books look great so yeah that's like a big thing um on we have issues our big thing that we always do charity for is children's literacy so oh, young age and stuff like yeah that it, it's a really big thing to me so yeah um but so yeah to see a, a comic book company openly embrace that is just really great so yeah i get what you're saying you you want to do something different and it's also it, it goes towards a different audience and yeah. i personally really enjoyed i'm one of those men who actually really like romantic comedies oh, good. so i was like yeah great this is really good so um you know, my, my, my feeling is, and, and, and this is really crystallized a lot while doing Kickstarter, is, you know, it's not that there's, there isn't a love of reading comics. I think there is an audience out there, but it's more of a diaspora than I think we've, we, we, we've come to expect. Um, you know, the direct market is just one of many puddles that, you know, that have sort of been scattered. You know, you've got, look at the numbers on Webtoons, for example, or look at the people reading, you know, Scholastic, you know, reading uh, Guts or Smile or Dogman. Um, mm-hmm. Look at the people who are buying their books primarily on Kickstarter um, or people who are buying their books primarily digitally on Comixology mm-hmm. or on Kindle uh, or who are buying them at cons. I think uh, any creator who wants to future-proof themselves, they need to, and this is, I think this is something that the more of us who do this, the more cumulative it becomes, but just saying, Hey, like just reaching out to all these different demographics and slowly, but surely kind of inviting them to the same table and saying, you know, for example, Kickstarter, one of the reasons I really wanted to do it was if we get a thousand people who pick up the OZ, that's a thousand people that I can reach out to and say, Hey guys, Mm -hmm. I have another book coming out. And if you don't know where your local comic shop is, here's where you get it. This is who you call. This yep. is what you do. Um, and vice versa. You know, when I'm doing interviews about my next book, I can say, Oh, Hey, by the way, in February, we're going to be doing the uh, second Kickstarter for, uh, for the second installment of the OZ. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, trying to, trying to sort of bring these, these disparate crowds together is I think um, of uh, existential importance to the industry. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's something that 
the bigger publishers are trying to do, but they're, you know, they're 18 wheelers. They can only sort of do so much maneuverability on a dime, especially in, in, in times of crisis like this. I think that's why it's, it's the individual creators from the ground up. We're the ones that are nimble. And so we're the ones that can kind of help steer the conversation and help steer the direction that the rest of the industry can then follow. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I got to mention, because it is the one year anniversary of going to the chapel coming yes, out, right? It is. Today, today um, was the one year anniversary. <laughs> I have to mention this. Um, it probably didn't hurt getting a plug from Patton Oswalt, right? No. Well, so, you know, like I said, like I, I mentioned earlier, this story begins and ends with a kidney stone. <laughs> yeah. And so the night before going to the chapel comes out, I'm, uh, I'm filling out names on my newsletter, Pep Talks, which you can all subscribe to. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel something shift in my back. And I immediately know what it is. I said, oh, no, I have a kidney stone. And so I, I, I had been on some medication uh, when, going to, when I started going to the chapel. So I think that was uh, late 2016 um, that had given me a few kidney stones. And the doctors had said, well, they'll just kind of come when they come. And it could be a month from now. It could be a year from now. Well, that was, yeah. that was when, that was when my, my clock got punched. And so <laughs> I went to the ER stayed there all night. I probably slept about two hours that night. Thankfully it passed in the ER and I somehow staggered my way to a signing. And <laughs> as I'm still like, I'm kind of still on painkillers and I'm still, you know, meeting and greeting with people. And thank goodness I know my, my elevator pitch because it's muscle memory at this point. And suddenly my phone starts blowing up. And what had happened was, um, you know, I, I consider myself uh, very fortunate that a lot of the Los Angeles based comic shops have all really supported me in big ways. Uh, right. Golden Apple Comics is is uh, just down the street from me. And I had seen them at Long Beach Comic Con that previous weekend. And I said, hey, guys, I just want to remind you, my new book is coming out uh, next week. I want to give you guys an exclusive uh, variant cover for it. Just just as a thank you for being my local shop and just to also kind of get you guys jazzed for the book. And the owner read it. I guess he really liked it. And it happened to be that Patton Oswalt shops at golden apple comics. And so (laughs) they've known him for years and they're like, Hey Patton, we've, we've put something in your, in your, in your pile. We think you're really going to like it. And I guess he read it in the parking lot and tweeted about it. And oh my god, <laughs> it was the most surreal launch date I think I'll ever have. I don't think there's any topping that. Um, I remember distinctly I was I was signing at uh, at Heidi Ho Comics that morning, and uh, Eddie D'Angelini, the, uh, the 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 owner, I said, Eddie, is this real? And he's like, Yes, this is very real. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, you know, um, for somebody who has the kind of platform that that Patton does, and uh, and and has as many projects going on as Patton. Um, it, I was gobsmacked that he would take the time to shout out an, an, an indie comics creator. And he's, he's been so kind and gracious and generous with his time and his platform. Uh, we, we've actually, we've, we've, we've spoken on Twitter. We've, we're, we're, we're Twitter buddies. We've DM'd a oh, few wow. times, um, you know, couldn't be more, more, more generous or gracious. Um, and yeah, you know, like when we were getting votes out for the Ringo awards, um, he didn't have to help us signal boost, but he did. And um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, 
I, I I'm very grateful for his support. Um, I remember distinctly asking him, I was like, Hey, could we use that on the trade? And he was like, please use that in the trade. That sounds awesome. Um, oh man. And I, I have distinctly, I have told him, I said, Patton, uh, you know, I only have a limited amount of control of whatever happens with, with this thing multimedia. But I said, Patton, if you, if we ever make a movie or a TV show out of this, do you want in? Uh, because you've got a spot waiting for you if you want it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he's, he, he, he's, he's a really lovely guy. And, um, yeah, it's today's the one year anniversary of the book coming out and him giving us our first shout out. And, uh, like I said, it's, you know, it felt very vindicating. Um, you know, this was the book that nobody, nobody said they could sell. And, um, (laughs) you know, it, it just goes to show that, I love traditional comics publishers. I'm doing work with traditional comics publishers. So I'm open. I'm not talking out of school, but um, sometimes the acquisitions pipeline can be a little conservative and I don't mean politically, but I mean Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of being risk averse, Um, there are well-established grooves um, that people go for, for. And when it comes to picking creators and their titles, uh, they go for what is considered the most sure thing. And sometimes I think we, rather than being esoteric, which I think they equate to being risky, I would say you can have calculated risks with something that's accessible and universal. Um, we just have to kind of sometimes go, go against the beaten path. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, so going along with that, uh, yeah. I, def- I definitely want to go ahead and uh, switch over to the OZ. Um, because I definitely want to give it its time. Uh, so, and also I don't want to focus on the fact that, you know, Patton Oswalt and he's my hero. So, (laughs) um, so, so this book, uh, before we get to the pitch, um, it is yourself writing it. Uh, the artist is Ruben Rojas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whitney Coger is the colorist who I know from giant days, which I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, and then, uh, DC Hopkins doing the lettering. So, this one is a Kickstarter, and if you guys are interested in it, you can definitely check it out on his. There's a link on his Twitter. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, your first, your last name with the D, right? Yeah, yeah. So you and you can go straight to our Kickstarter. It's at um, mm-hmm. bit.ly slash the OZ comic. It's just one mm-hmm. word. That'll take you straight to the Kickstarter page, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's uh, it's pretty incredible the the response that we've gotten um we're we're creeping up towards 600 percent funded uh which is just <laughs> crazy uh we are getting pretty close to a thousand backers as well uh which is just kind of out of this world um but yeah you know uh sort of going you know it's a little like going to the chapel in in, in a way yeah. is that that book the oz was a book that a lot of publishers liked but for you know just just the chaoticness of the publishing pipeline in the best of times we would we would keep getting at the one yard line and then the conversation would halt for a little while and then we'd start the conversation again but it would be a repeat of the last conversation it's a little like groundhog day um and uh <laughs> when you know i had been thinking for a long time uh that i wanted to do a kickstarter uh kind of for the reasons we were discussing earlier is that that, that was a whole demographic that i had done no outreach for 
And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of friends like Charlie Stickney, the creator of White Ash, uh, Rylan Grant, who just finished his Kickstarter for uh, The Jump, uh, Pat Shand from Destiny New York, Russell Nahelty, who has a Kickstarter up right now for Ichabod Jones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all these all these people, it's been kind of press ganging me for the better part of a year being like, you really should do, you should try Kickstarter uh, it, just to increase your reader base. Mm-hmm. And so um, when the pandemic hit, and diamond shut down i kind of realized that i could just solve one problem with the other is that we had two issues of the oz done written drawn just in the can waiting Uh Uh, i had written the whole rest of the series already um and i was like so why are we waiting for permission anymore we could just go straight to the readers um and we could introduce ourselves to the kickstarter community with our absolute a game yeah. And so I'm um, seeing kind of the response to that. It really does feel like a leap of faith rewarded. Um, you know, it, it, it was sort of, uh, I, I believed in the project uh, because I believe in my team, but mm-hmm. seeing the rest of the world kind of grab so tightly to it. Um, you know, you spend your whole life loving comics and days like that comics love you back. And uh, that's, 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 that's something pretty, pretty special. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, just, just seeing how like overfunded it is, is awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah like I said, you're getting pretty, pretty close to six times funded. Yeah. And uh, so let's talk about the book itself. So it's called the OZ Yeah. and uh, it is, and I'm going to read your actual pitch straight here. Uh, what if Hurt Locker took place in the Wizard of Oz? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a big Oz fan. Um, I, there's a lot of classical literature like that, that I'm a really big fan of, but, sure. uh, anything with a cool lore with a cool world, you know, I'm going to latch onto, but Wizard of Oz has always been one that I really liked. Yeah. And, um, it's something that has been in comics a couple times. Sure. Um, with Scott Young notably and... the, the Scott Young runs so good. Yeah. Um, and but Chanow, yeah, I yeah. like this. Yep, exactly. So I really like this unique take of it. Um, and, uh, as I said, we were working with a different artist than we were with the other two books, but I love this art. Like yeah. this, the cover alone is just absolutely gorgeous and has such a great look to it. So that, that cover is what convinced me to move forward with the rest of the book. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ruben Rojas and I, um, we've known each other now. We've been, we've probably known each other for, hmm, it's probably going on around two years now. Um, I, I found him on Twitter answering a call for artists and um so i i was just shocked that nobody had picked him up yet i mean he's he's like if dan mora and sean murphy had a baby um and so (laughs) i pitched him uh three different books at the same time i said ruben i want to work with you tell me which one of these you like most and so i pitched him um i pitched him the oz i pitched him uh my upcoming book grand theft astro which hadn't been acquired yet we didn't have an artist on board yet and then mm-hmm. uh, a third title that I'm kind of putting back on the back burner to, to redevelop it. And Ruben yeah. is a big fan of fantasy. He's a big fan of post-apocalyptic uh, storytelling. So this hit him right in his sweet spot. And uh, I usually, when I work with artists, I, I, I say, let's do six pages in a cover just to make sure that like we feel good about each other and this feels like the right fit and that we can then you know pitch something to a publisher. And I saw that main cover, which is right up on our Kickstarter page. And I was so blown away. I said, Ruben, keep working. Mm-hmm. I promise to you, come hell or high water, I will get this book made. And um, 
I, I'm keeping that promise to him. Um, and it really, you know, I think between Ruben's inks and Whitney Kogar's tremendous colors and DC Hopkins' uh, impeccable lettering, I think we're, we've we've gotten ourselves in this nice feedback loop where each of us kind of eggs the other one on to to really deliver their A game. Um, mm-hmm. I was so excited by Ruben's inks that I kind of shotgun my way through six. Uh, through six standard sized issues, which we are now going to be repackaging as three double sized Kickstarter campaigns. Um, you know, Ruben, meanwhile, was so excited by what I was turning in that he was like really like just leaving out all in the field. And then Whitney was so excited to see that that she really just kind of knocked the inks out, which made Ruben even happier. Um, and then, uh, you know, poor DC Hopkins is kind of like, okay, I like. He, he's he's the poor guy in the middle where he's like okay there's a lot of stuff going on and i have to make sure i make i'm the glue that makes it all work and so yeah. you know he and i talk a lot about just like you know how is the dialogue gonna sort of interact with the space and sometimes i realize oh i've overwritten this you know um or like <laughs> the art can't support this um you know so so he's he's really the ultimate team player um but yeah i i i couldn't be prouder of this creative team i couldn't feel more grateful uh for for their work uh you know they uh for example they 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 go so far above and beyond that we've already drawn our 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 backer cameos uh for Mm -hmm. for this first issue so we are um we are just about ready to, to to send to the printer for 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 proofs which is uh which is great uh being just halfway through the campaign um yeah so yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm the, the liberating thing for me, and this is, a, I consider to be the secret of my success is I always try to work with artists who are so good that no one cares what I write. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the worst reviews will have to say the art looks good and that's very liberating for me as a writer. Um, and I feel like, you know, the, the team for the OZ has, has only raised the bar higher. Um, I, I, uh, this, this book looks as good as anything in the direct market. Um, yeah. I, and, and, and as somebody who reads everything in the direct market, I feel pretty confident about that. And uh, the best part is what you guys have seen in our preview pages on the Kickstarter. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And they're great. Check out the preview pages, guys. Um, just, I, I'm really excited for this book. Uh, and this was when, uh, when my associate said, Hey, do you want to interview him? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to remember who that is. And then mm-hmm. he's like, it's the OZ one. I'm like, oh, I saw that on Twitter. So, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, definitely we're talking to him. So, definitely. Um, yeah. I'm really excited about it. And uh, I know you you name check uh, the old garden fables in yeah. the pitch, too, which fables holds a special place in my heart. It's one of my favorite comics of all time. Uh, and then, yeah, that that is because uh, looking at it, I was kind of like, what is this reminding me of? Mm-hmm. And it was fables. It was the epicness of fables, the yeah. the classic character design, but looking different, yes. you know, with with the with the Tin Man, you know, and stuff like that. And all oh, the, the the monkeys, the flying monkeys, man. <laughs> yeah, the flying monkeys. Uh, Dorothy's going to have her hands full with them in this issue. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it was one of those things that I kind of similar to Spencer and Locke, I kind of stumbled into this high concept, but once I did, I fell in love with it and I couldn't let it go. Um, yeah. Spencer and Locke, it was, I wanted to do something in the vein of classic Frank Miller. And what was the weirdest thing that I could throw up against it? And I thought when I got to Calvin and Hobbes, I was like, Oh, that clicks like the initial yeah. source material justifies 
this this thesis that I have that maybe Calvin's imaginary friend was not a benign quirk, but a symptom of a darker pathology of sort of right. a, a, of this of, of a violent and traumatic upbringing. For the yeah. OZ, we we've we sort of reframed it. I, I I've said it's like it's like you said, Mad Max and the Hurt Locker beats the Wizard of Oz, and. Mm-hmm. We've recast Dorothy Gale killing the Wicked Witch of the West as something like a botched regime change. And so mm. when she clicks her heels together three times and goes home to Kansas, she inadvertently leaves Oz in a power vacuum that leads to years of brutal civil war. And Makes so sense. our story picks up a generation later with Dorothy's uh, granddaughter and namesake, who's a disillusioned Iraq war veteran. And she's come mm-hmm. home from her time overseas with real scars and real trauma and real guilt. And she's just trying to put the pieces of her life back together in small town Kansas. Uh, unfortunately, a tornado strikes and our new Dorothy finds herself stranded <laughs> in the war-torn land of Oz. So she's going to have to navigate or confront her past and her grandmother's former friends if she hopes to survive the occupied zone. Or as the locals call it, the OZ. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, similar to, 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 to Spencer and Locke, I'd written kind of when I decided I wanted to do a fantasy story, and this was right on the heels of the first volume of Spencer and Locke coming out. So that's how long this has been in development. Um, I said, you know, I want to take a big swing. Um, you know, crime is great. Uh, crime books are, are great. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're down to earth and they're intimate and that there's inherent stakes um, um, to it. But I was like, I want something bigger in, in terms of scope. And, um, I've written sci-fi since then. You know, I, I've written Grand Theft Astro. Um, I've, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a couple more science-oriented books. But, you know, it's hard. You, you have to kind of mm-hmm. come up with these hard and fast rules about the world, and then your characters mm-hmm. have to navigate those rules. Fantasy can be the opposite, where, you know, there's so much metaphor and character work to it, and the magic can, and, and the rules of the world can warp around that. Um, I like that a lot. That's why characters like Shazam and Doctor Strange have always really appealed to me. Yeah. Um, and and I think probably the reason why Jeff Johns' Green Lantern always appealed to me is because he was able to take that with a sci-fi bent with all the different uh, ring core that all that mm-hmm. are, were all based on different emotions. Um, so I had written down kind of a, a mood board of different fantasy inspirations that I grew up with. Uh, things like Lord of the Rings, Lloyd Alexander, Piers Anthony. Um mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Harry Potter and I mm-hmm. had written down The Wizard of Oz and as my cursor was flashing on that word Oz it kind of hit me that I was like oh that word is really short but it's really iconic what if that was an acronym for something mm-hmm. and I thought of DMZ and then I said oh mm-hmm. it's the occupied zone and that's when it kind of like hit me like a truck that I was like oh this isn't just a fantasy book it's a war story and that yeah. really, you know, that kind of made all the pieces click together of Dorothy being an Iraq war veteran of sort of the, the, this morality of war, because, you know, if you've read the L. Frank Baum books uh, or if you've watched the Judy Garland film, you know, Dorothy kills two wicked witches and convinces the Wizard of Oz to leave in like a week and then yeah. splits. <laughs> Like, you know, it just ruins try, everything. Yeah, like they, try to, they try to frame it like with like, like wrap it up with a neat little bow. But that's like not how it would work. I, I, I was in high school during the invasion of Iraq. That's what it yeah. would look like. Um, it would look like Baghdad. It would look like Game of Thrones um, mm-hmm. because that's kind of the ugly truth of these dictators is that 
you know, they don't just rule through fear and power, although those they do that 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 does help. But it's ultimately this really consolidated control. They they have mm-hmm. their tendrils and everything. And so if you uproot them, suddenly you're also uprooting key pieces of infrastructure. And not only that, you see people who say, Oh, there's a power vacuum. We're all gonna fight for our piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. And so um that you know, like Spencer and Locke, it was does the initial source material justify my new thesis? Because uh, it'd be very mm. easy to do something just shocking for shock value's sake. I, you know, I, I always use the example of, uh, you know, you could tell the story about Elmo cooking meth in Oscar the Grouch's trash can, um, but like, <laughs> there's no story to that. Like, it's it's it, it's it's just shock, and shock will get your foot in the door once. Uh, it's not something that builds longer lasting reader investment. It doesn't have that emotional engagement to it. And for me, I need that to, to let a, a story concept transcend and become an actual like working narrative. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I, I like, cause again, I'm a big Oz fan and yeah. I think one of the things I really like, and I guess I want to form it in a question is uh, how much of this is going to be based strictly on the first book or like the extended books? Are they going to come into play at sure. all? Cause yeah, I was a big fan of those and those are darker. Yeah. So it's a great question. Uh, and it, it was one, you know, that ultimately was kind of my balancing act for this book because I, I read the Oz novels in college. I wrote a term paper about how uh, I considered the land of Oz to be a prototypical superhero universe because Baum was building on continuity and mythology over the course of 20 novels. Right. And so, you know, it, he was doing it decades before Stan and Jack ever showed up on the scene. But, you know, you have all these different nations and and, 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 and peoples and races and it, with their own power sets. It's no different than the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe. All right. Um, and, and for me, it was how do I thread that needle between the 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 bomb novels, which are all public domain and the Judy Garland film, which is sort of the popular consciousness of Oz, which is not in the public domain. Right. Um, you know, how do you sort of have your cake and eat it too? And so uh, the way that we've, we've done it that I, I feel pretty good about is, yes, we do have sort of that core quartet of, you know, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, uh, Dorothy and the Lion. But uh, the remixes we, we, we do therein, um, it stays true to the characters, but shows just how much they've changed over the course of a generation. Uh, right. but I feel like we've been able to use sort of the greater mythology of Oz to really flesh out the sense of scale to this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I talked with Whitney a lot about this and I think it really kind of speaks to our, our, uh, directives with this book is I said, what's the Mad Max version of star Wars look like, you know, <laughs> where you've got that grittiness and that intensity, but you've also got, just got that s- sweeping sense of scale and wonder. Um, you know, you know, the difference between Tatooine and Hoth and Dagobah and Cloud City, um, you know, they each have their own individual palettes and energies and vibes and internal high concepts. And I think the land right. of Oz is the same way. You know, the, the bombed out Emerald City is going to feel very different than the Deadly Desert, which is going to feel different than the mountaintops of Ix, which is going to feel very different than the Wicked Witch's Castle. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, or the or, or or the gnome king's lair. You know, there's all there's all these different um, uh, uh, elements to it. I do think Return to Oz also has a, a, a big. It's in our DNA uh, for sure. That kind of 
dark right. remix um to the point where um i love jack Pumpkinhead. i love that character design he plays Same. a big role in in the book um he 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 doesn't appear a ton in our first issue but issues two and three his his his, his he he plays an important role that uh it will make sense by the time it's done um you know uh and uh, mm-hmm. yeah you know it's funny is is because this is the first time I've ever promoted a book that is not a hundred percent finished. Um, our first issue is done. Uh, everything that's, that we're kickstarting right now is finished, but we're hard at work on the second installment right now. And so that's actually an ongoing conversation that I have with Ruben Rojas is kind of like, okay, like maybe we have a little bit more room for things like the wheelies, for example. Um, and so I, right, I have yeah. an idea for him for that, that, that we're, we're talking about to see if we can make it work. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, we you know we're there are certain characters though, like uh, like Ozma, for example, that I'm kind of holding in my back pocket because I feel like if yeah. we introduce a character like Ozma, um, she would hit at our themes in a in, in a very organic way, but it's not th- it, this isn't the time to tell her story. Um, but I, I I if we have the demand to ever tell more, I, I got a pretty strong idea of what we do with Ozma um you know TikTok. i think we could uh we could fit in, in, in a certain place um so yeah it's really kind of threading that needle because ultimately like like i've said before accessibility is always my my big watchword. Yeah. I, I never want people to have to have read a whole bunch of things to to get the book but at the same time kind of like spencer unlock i i like to pepper in little easter eggs um just to just to keep people on their toes <laughs> and 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 to to, to, to appease our diehards and yeah. uh, I think for me, sort of the most fun elements that I've had in the OZ is the intersection of, of, of you know, Dorothy has this keen military training. She has this soldier's eye. And so the land of Oz has teeth, but she sees it as a way to defend herself and those around her. And so seeing those mm-hmm. intersections where the fantasy and the war elements really start to collide, um, you know, one example being, uh, you know, she probably, you wouldn't see the Wizard of Oz's balloon as a platform for a halo drop, but Dorothy would. Right. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that we're able to kind of tackle over the course of this series is, you know, seeing, seeing how Oz isn't, it's not just a dangerous place, but it's a place that could be weaponized. And, right. um, and, and that will be sort of a major way of how Dorothy, who in certain ways is a stranger in a strange land, even though she's been told these stories about Oz by her ailing grandmother for years. Um, mm. this is, that's, that's the equalizer. That's how she's able to sort of come out on top is she, she is that she has that lateral thinking and she has that military training. And so she's like, okay, I don't have a gun, but I can find the next best thing. Um, it reminds me a lot of that line in fractions Hawkeye where he Mm -hmm. says, you know, what kind of person do you have to be to walk into a room and see different ways to hurt people? And I think that's definitely the mindset that, that, uh, Dorothy has been forced to operate under. Nice. Yeah. That gives me a really great idea of that because, um, yeah, as I said, big Oz fan and it's one of those things and uh, I'll compare it to the Hobbit if I will, Sure. where people don't realize there's not much to it at first (laughs) like there had to be a lot of expanding upon the original story to come up with the lore and the world that we enjoy yeah and so yeah that's that's kind of what it is yeah i I think that's part of the reason why i like kind of exploring these nostalgic properties is that like Mm -hmm. 
you know, you see it as a kid and like, you know, as a kid, your memory is not particularly sophisticated. Your read is not right. particularly sophisticated. And then when you revisit as an adult, you're like, okay, like in the case of Calvin and Hobbes, it was very subversive. It was very ahead of its time. It was trailblazing, but like, there's a lot you can still build on it. Um, and yeah. same thing for the wizard of Oz is, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's almost the epitome of, of, of nostalgic innocence. And when you go back to it, I, I liken it to, you know, it's like an adult grilled cheese, you know, it's, it's, it's the building blocks of that, of that comfort food, but you're able to sort of really add complexity uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to the mix and add different twists and turns. So you have that form of what you loved, but the flavor is very different. Um, yeah. And, and uh, that's always, that's always been fun for me is finding ways that you can remix these classics while still maintaining, while still staying true to their spirit. Um, uh-huh. you know, the, the examples I always like is like, for example, just seeing what we did at the core quartet. Cause it's, you know, war hasn't just touched Dorothy. It's touched everybody in, in the OZ. Right. Um, so, you know, the tin man, uh, the tin soldier has been destroyed and rebuilt so many times that he's been turned to this kind of towering war machine freedom fighter. Right. But at the same time, this is the guy who wanted a heart. And so what happens to that guy when he's watched his friends die in front of him for years and always been the sole survivor? Do you bury that heart or is it something that's always going to come back? Right. Or, you know, the scarecrow, this is the guy who wanted to be smart. And, you know, what happens when you find out that being the smartest guy in the room doesn't mean that you always have an answer. Sometimes it just means you're the first one to realize just how bad it all is. Yeah. And at the same time, you, you see people like Elon Musk, anybody who calls themselves a genius, it's pure ego. So what <laughs> happens to that, to that ego when you keep going back to the Rubik's cube and, not only can you not solve it, but it's actually getting worse. What does that do mm-hmm. to a person? Um, right. Or, you know, the lion who I think he, he has a lot in common with Dorothy because their, their stories are a lot about legacy and sort of the, 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 the ideals of the past. And now that you've been driven through the, the muck and the war, can you ever get back to those ideals? But yeah, this is somebody who wanted bravery. And how does that calculus change when you're not just fighting for yourself anymore? Uh, what happens mm-hmm. when you become the king of the animal kingdom? Uh, what does bravery look like then? Um, and right. so, you know, all these different characters, you know, I think we stay true to the original mythos and I think we, we stay respectful of it, but we're able to, to, to take it to its logical extreme. And, and, and we've really kind of put all these characters in a real pressure cooker of a situation. And now, you know, these guys haven't been on the same side in a long time and they're each trying to find their own way forward. And sometimes those ways are going to bring them head to head. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited, man. I'll, I'll be <laughs> honest with you. I'm, I'm getting really excited. You're pitching even more harder on, or even harder on me than uh, I was already uh, sold on. So if I'm really excited. Played, about that. Have you ever played Chrono Trigger? Yes. I love Chrono Trigger. You're going to love this book. Okay. Um, that was a big <laughs> Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy seven. Um, I feel like the, the 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 dynamic of that core quartet has been built upon going all the way to Claremont's X Men, going to those RPGs that we were just discussing, mm-hmm. um, because it's you know it's all these really strong archetypes that yep. each could go on on their own, but then you put them all in the same room together and you see what happens. Um, if you like Chrono Trigger, you will love the OZ. Awesome. Um, yeah, uh, by the time that sort of Dorothy brings together her makeshift army of four you'll see um that these 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 characters all have very different personalities and character arcs and ways of doing things 
and yeah. that's what you need uh, when you're fighting a war. You, you know, having having four bruisers is not going to help, but having kind of you know the general, the bruiser, the uh, the the stealth fighter, the airman, um, you know, the the the, the gearhead. Um, suddenly, you're cooking with gas, and suddenly, maybe maybe you have a chance to win. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. So, yeah, I'm really, really excited for it. Uh, so, our listeners, uh, please check it out. Uh, you can check out the Kickstarter, as he said, at bit.ly slash the Oz comic. Uh, and all the other comics we've we've mentioned have their own Twitter accounts as well. Yes, yeah, Spencer um, and Locke so, and Go to the Chapel. And Grand Theft Astro already has yes. one, right? Grand Theft yeah, Astro as well. Which, uh, hopefully, we'll <laughs> hopefully, we'll have more to talk about with that soon. Um, the quick pitch for, for, for everybody is it's, uh, it's Star Wars meets Fast and the Furious. Uh, meets uh, Back to the Future. Um, it's uh, about Hakeem Hermes Henriksen, who is the uh, fastest star chaser in the galaxy. He's been uh, paying rent with uh, 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 with pink slips uh, uh, as the uh, you know racing the star the spaceways. Uh, he's built himself a new supercharger, and unfortunately, he tests it out in the middle of a race, and it rips open a wormhole that throws him seven years into the future. And oh, so awesome. Hakeem is going to have to go uh, embark on a faster than light heist with his uh, formerly younger brother who has uh, since since taken a dark path uh, since his brother vanished uh, in order to steal a piece of technology to bring him home. So uh, it's, <clears throat> excuse me. It's a super fun book. It's already written. Uh, it was just a matter of getting our, our artist, Jordi Perez, getting uh, his schedule in a row. He had some really cool licensed opportunities that we didn't want to keep him from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he's hard at work. He's chiseling away at the first issue. Uh, so hopefully we'll have something more to talk about relatively soon for that. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, Jordi's got some really fun stuff in store. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for uh, for readers to, to, to see what's coming uh, with Grand Theft Astro. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see everything that's coming out. So uh, I want to go and wrap this up. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me. Once again, guys, uh, check out the Kickstarter. Uh, Make sure to follow David on Twitter at uh, uh, P-E-P-O-S-E-D. And uh, all the information about the Kickstarter. And there's links to each of the Twitters for the different uh, books as well on there. Uh, I also want to thank you so much for joining us here at Geek Network. Uh, You can always check us out at our website, geek-network.com. Uh, the website or the Twitter for the channel itself is GN Podcast. Uh, the website or the Twitter, excuse me, for myself is GN Podcasts with an S, Keith. And then for We Have Issues, our show that is about comics that we'll probably be discussing these books on quite a bit is WHI Podcasts. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. And again, thank you so much, David, for your um, for your time and for everything. And I'm really excited to check this out. And I, I can't wait to talk to you again. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll do we'll do this again sooner rather than later. Definitely. <laughs>